0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. It's a whole new world in more ways than one. Both Jew and Gentile are facing monumental choices in this globally recognized messianic moment. Who or what can you or will you trust? If the world is destined to be dominated by a simple religion, which one will it be? Will it be a blend of many or all, predominated by the Noahide laws? Who will be in or out? And who will reign over this new eclectic theocracy? Well, that decision was made by a group of Gentiles who came to Israel and in front of the resurrected Israeli Sanhedrin made this pledge. And here it is. I pledge my allegiance to Hashem, God of Israel, creator and king of the universe, to his Torah and its representatives, the developing Sanhedrin. I hereby pledge to uphold the seven laws of Noah in all their details, according to oral, the oral law of Moses, under the guidance of the developing Sanhedrin. May Hashem bless and aid me, My fellow council members and all benign Noah, in all our endeavors for the sake of his name. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who has caused me to live, sustained me, and brought me to this day. Question. Is this the anatomy of a one-world religion? Is righteousness for Gentiles then achieved by absolute obedience to the law of Noah? Is this in reality the anti-gospel, a total repudiation of the Christian faith? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be dealing with that subject, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and indeed, it is a whole new world, and things are coming very, very rapidly. Yesterday, Rabbi Uri Shirky, in Israel, wrote to Islamic leaders to tell them that there was still a chance for their faith to be accepted in the world. The groundbreaking letter that he wrote, addressed to the religious leaders of Islam, was written by the great Rabbi Uri Sherki, chairman of Brit Olam Institutions, entitled, A Bridge Between Faith." What Does Judaism Think of Islam? In the letter, Rabbi Scherke states that it is possible to undertake common action between Islam and Judaism as religions believing in one God. What does this mean? And we've just started to look at his letter. What are the implications of this letter? What is lurking behind the words of the letter? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a look at that. And at the same time that Rabbi Uri Shaki wrote that letter to the leaders of Islam around the world, the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, spoke at the 75th anniversary meeting of the Knesset and called for greater unity among all of Israeli society. Well, it seems that there is a recognition that there is vast disagreement within Israel both spiritually politically economically in just about every way except for the fact that they all claim to be jewish have their roots in abraham and isaac and jacob other than that there is great division now the president of israel is calling for unity within israel that is radically divided While one of the chief rabbis of Israel, one of the most recognized and revered rabbis of Israel, whose picture I'm looking at as we speak, is declaring the same thing for the religions of the world, especially and particularly Judaism and Islam. And the interesting thing is he does not mention Christianity. He only mentions Islam. So we're going to break this down here today on Viewpoint. What is happening in our world? How does this fit? This announcement, this invitation, shall we say, from one of the most revered Jewish rabbis, this invitation to Islam to join with Judaism because they each purport to worship the one true God. In other words, they're monotheistic. Perhaps this has something to do with the idea that uh, is strong within the viewpoint of Jewish rabbis that when the scriptures talk about the temple as a house of prayer for all people, that they interpret that to mean All religions. A house of prayer for all religions. But is that what God had in mind? A house of prayer for all religions? If indeed those religions do not embrace Yeshua, HaMashiach, the Savior of the world, the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer, the all-begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, if they don't embrace him, then what do they embrace? Or is this really a device, an effort to try to bring a kind of synthetic unity, not real unity, but synthetic unity, so that we can stop the wars of the world and we can all come together and sing kumbaya and have a great love fest. What does this mean? Well, let me share with you the rest of Rabbi Uri Herkey's letter, and then we'll talk more specifically about this. Again, this is a groundbreaking letter addressed to the religious leaders of Islam. Titled A Bridge Between Faiths What Does Judaism Think of Islam? He goes on to say It's about building a bridge between the believers in God's oneness found in the religions of the sons of Abraham that requires Islam to accept the validity of Judaism and to accept the rights of the Jewish people to the land of Israel as they appear in the Quran. The rabbinical letter sent by Rabbi Cherki to dozens of religious leaders in the Islamic world opens with these words. On the 7th of October, 2023, Hamas attacked the citizens of Israel. He said this attack was carried out by an Islamic movement acting in the name of Islam. This fact should lead us to reflect more deeply on the relationship between Judaism and Islam. And I am writing this letter to the leaders of Islam with the hope that it will bring greater mutual understanding and perhaps even peace between the sons of Abraham, the descendants of Israel, and the descendants of Ishmael. I don't have a problem with some sort of peace in that regard. But is it peace at any price? What do we set aside and forget in the name of peace? Since Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Yet he was the Prince of Peace. We'll be back. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. I ask you the question here today. Will Noahidism unite the world? Is this the spirit of unity that is going to bring the world together and undergird a new global government? And we know that there are others that are working toward this kind of end, but this is the Jewish community. These are Orthodox Jews who are seeking to bring what they call peace through Noahidism. Since we, either Jew, Muslim, or Christian, or of any faith, are not, we're all descendants of Noah, it's perceived that to achieve unity we have to return to find the resolution of our divisions in Noah. We'll talk more about the implications of that as we get into the program today. But just so that you know, chapter 19 of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, is titled, Noahide Laws and Olam Abba. In other words, this is the peace of the world. The world to come. Your entrance as a Gentile to the world to come is totally dependent upon your allegiance to an observance of the seven Noahide laws, according to Orthodox Jewish beliefs. Might be a bit confusing, friends, but particularly for those who proclaim Jesus as Messiah, for the penalty of such alleged blasphemy is death by decapitation under the Noahide court system. So it should then be obvious to some of us, or most of us, that this belief deemed to be the final and ultimate world system has to be, shall we say, surgically explored. If Orthodox Jews are deeply convinced whether well, they're already enmeshed in the Messianic Age. So we'll talk more about what those Noahide laws are in a few moments. But for now we go back to Rabbi Uri Cherki's letter to the leaders of Islam, the religious leaders of Islam, that actually came out on January 22nd. He says there's no intention to convert Muslims, nor to kill or subject them. He said this bridge between faiths, what does Judaism think of Islam, should help Jews, should make it, a realistic thing for islam and judaism as religions believing in one god to allow jews to enter into mosques peacefully and that judaism has no intention to convert Muslims nor to kill or subject, uh, subjugate them according to rabbi Shirky, building a bridge between the believers in god's oneness found in the religions of the sons of abraham requires islam to accept the validity of judaism and to accept the rights of the Jewish people to the land of Israel as they appear in the Quran. So, we go on and look more detailed at this letter. The, the rabbi outlines Judaism's attitude toward Islam. He said, for Judaism, the appearance of a new religion, well, it was of great interest to Jews, but it didn't stir them up like it might stir up, by the way, Christians. Judaism, he said, recognizes that Islam worships one God, despite the differences in the understanding of the meaning of this oneness, and this recognition has practical implications, he says. One of them is that while Jewish law forbids a Jew from entering a place of idol worship, it allows entry to a mosque. This is accepted, he said, by all rabbis. We have no desire to convert Muslims to Judaism, nor to kill or subject them. He writes, Rabbi Turkey, who leads the Brit Olam organization, which instructs communities of Noahides around the world, explains in the letter, quote, From Judaism's perspective, all people are obligated to accept and fulfill the seven commandments that God gave to all humanity, referred to in the Jewish tradition as the seven Noahide laws. These laws are the prohibition of idolatry, the prohibition of cursing God, the prohibition of murder, the prohibition of sexual deviancy, the prohibition of theft, the prohibition of eating meat torn from a living animal, and the positive obligation to establish courts of justice and a penal system. He said Islam accepts these commandments in principle, and therefore Judaism may accept Islam as a sister religion. We are both descendants of Abraham. And so, We go to wrap up his letter. He said, Abraham's initial phase, in which he built a movement for ethical monotheism, gathering tens of thousands of followers before he was commanded to found a particular nation. God made a covenant with the people of Israel so that they would serve as a model of a holy nation for all humanity, a model of collective holiness. There is here a division of labor of sorts between the sons of Abraham, writes the rabbi. The sons of Ishmael, that is, Muslims, were given the role of spreading the knowledge of the one God to a larger number of people than Israel, while the sons of Isaac and Jacob were given the role of founding a model of collective holiness based on the covenant with God to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the rabbi goes on to say, in light of the crisis of values in many societies in our times, cooperation between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ishmael could bring a great blessing to the world and promote the belief in God's oneness and his ethical commandments. So the rabbi clarifies and wraps it up. For Islam to be truly accepted by Judaism as a legitimate religion for all peoples, three points have to be agreed upon. First, the recognition of Islam as a religion parallel to Judaism, not a replacement, that the prophecy of Muhammad has not come to invalidate the Mosaic Torah. Second, recognizing that the Torah is God's word. Abandoning, Islam must abandon the claim of corruption of the Torah, that Isaac was not the one that God really uh, wrote there in the Torah, but it was actually Ishmael. Islam must abandon that belief, And Judaism must be acknowledged the religion from which Islam developed. And finally, recognizing the divine promise that the Jewish people will return to their homeland and occupy and rule it as the Quran explicitly says. So the motivation behind this is peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In other words, let's get rid of this religious opposition and animosity and just accept the fact that we're both coming uh, as the sons of Abraham, and therefore we both believe in one God. We're monotheistic religions, and that should suffice in satisfying all, and we should all come together and be able to uh, worship together. We should be able to accept one another as uh, equal faiths, because we each have different roles. Now, what do you do with that? This is coming out this year, friends. This is 2024, and 2024 is a major fulcrum year for many things. It's a fulcrum year for the pursuit, the catapultic, <laughs> catapulting, catapulting, of uh, the spirit of globalism into reality in our world. And this actually is a religious expression of that, even though the rabbi never mentions globalism. But he does mention that Israel is supposed to be the uh, model example to the world, the globe, the world, of uh, monotheistic uh, morality. Basically, that's what they say. Monotheistic reality. But then he says, Islam is, has a greater influence on the world, more people, not just to be a model, but to catapult the belief in a one God. Question, are they the same God? The rabbi never really discusses that. And who is that God? Is he Elohim? Is he the God of the Bible? Is he a God that uh, the Torah actually talks about? Or is he something else? Now, we know that Islam does not believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. To say that he was crucified and that he rose from the dead is deemed to be blasphemy worthy of death in Islam. Among the Jewish people, to say that is virtually the same thing, except today they wouldn't call for death. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day did. They said, he claimed to be the Son of God, therefore he is worthy of blasphemy and death, because that's the prescribed death penalty. Now here's the problem. We're going to take a look at these Noahide laws again. Very briefly, and at first blush, they seem to be, shall we say, kosher. First, do not deny God. In other words, don't blaspheme God. Uh, That's the second one. Do not blaspheme God. First, do not deny God. Second, do not blaspheme God. Three, do not murder. Four, do not engage in sexual immorality. Five, do not steal. Six, do not eat the flesh of a living animal. And seven, establish courts and legal system to enforce these laws. Okay, here's where the rub comes. When the first one of these Noahide laws is do not deny God, and the second is do not blaspheme God, but both Jew and Muslim, Orthodox Jew and Muslim, believe that anyone who claims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God was crucified, that rose again, the ascended back to the Father, and is the Savior of the world, by definition, he's a blasphemer. So what do you do then with the seventh Noahide law that says establish courts and legal system to enforce the first laws? Enforce that do not believe in God, deny God, and second, do not blaspheme God. In other words, the legal system and courts that the Noahide laws call for actually become the enforcement of the belief of both Islam and uh Judaism that Jesus is a blasphemer and that anyone who claims that he is the Son of God, full of grace and truth, is likewise a blasphemer and must be punished according to the rules governing blaspheming God in the Torah. Are you beginning to get the picture now? The problem is not so much with the Torah. It's with the Jewish or Orthodox conclusions with regard to the Torah as it relates to the rest of the Bible. Now, they do believe that the balance of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, is inspired by God. They believe that is the Bible. They do not accept the New Testament, even though the New Testament contains about a third of the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament but they reject that. But then comes another document called the Talmud. The Torah contains the 613 commandments, statutes and judgments, that uh, are mentioned in the scriptures that were not placed inside the ark, but were placed in the side of the ark. And you can read about that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verses 24 to 27, and also it's reiterated in Colossians 2, verses 11 to 14, where Paul writes that those uh, statutes and judgments, the 613 statutes and judgments and ordinances, were against the people, and that's why they were put on the outside of the ark and not in the Ark where the Ten Commandments were placed. Paul says those were against the people, and with the teaching, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, those were done away with and fulfilled in and through Christ's life. Jewish people do not believe that. They believe that to believe that, Is blasphemy. And if it's blasphemy, then the courts established under the Noahide laws must punish anyone who believes those things. Are you beginning to get the bigger picture here? We'll continue on just a moment. There is so much
1: more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example,
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking about these Noahide laws and whether it is possible, as Rabbi Uri Cherki has written to Muslim religious leaders just two days ago saying that Islam and Judaism must come together because they both worship one God. And they both come from Abraham. Where does this lead? Is this going to assist in bringing together a one-world government or, shall we say, triggering the decisions that will bring about that government? Let me give you a hint. As we speak, the Jewish people, Israel, is expecting, as the Bible foretells, that there will be a rebuilt temple, a third temple. People say that's impossible. You've got the Dome of the Rock there. You've got uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Uh, it's going to be impossible. It would start World War Three. But what if the spirit that is being promoted by Rabbi Uri Cherki is picked up within the Muslim world and saying, okay, okay, uh, we're willing to buy into this, and uh, we can see what you're saying, and I'll tell you what, we're going to take what you're saying now and saying, yes, you'll allow us to continue to have our expression on the Temple Mount, which is precious to us, and we're going to allow you to have your expression on the Temple Mount, which is precious to you. That is, the third temple. Now, do you think that's too far out? No. I believe that's almost exactly how it's going to happen. And the foundation in spirit not necessarily in truth, but in spirit, is being actually laid before us right here in the launch of 2024. Now, it might behoove you to get a copy of my book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, to understand the depths of this particular issue. Chapter 19 is called Noahide Laws and Olam Haba, which means... The world to come. Noahide laws and the world to come. Will Noahidism unite the world? It's a $22 book, yours for $20, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. Leo 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, the book contains far more than just that issue. It contains so many things, it is going to grip your mind and heart, friends. It's going to grip your mind and heart because there are so many uh, things that are being woven together in syncretism to grab the minds and hearts of the majority of people on this globe, including professing Christians who say, okay, well, you know, we believe in one true God, too, and uh, so we're going to become part of this. After all, didn't Jesus say, uh, my temple, my house is to be a house of prayer for all people, and the Jews say that means... Uh, all religions, and therefore we're going to buy into that. That, my friends, is the spirit of the Pope. Whether you believe it or not, that is the spirit that Pope Francis is bringing to our world. He doesn't have to put it in those words. That is the spirit to unify all different belief systems and to rationalize their coming together so as to under get of a religious undergirding for the new worldwide government to replace the government of God. All right. So, these Noahide laws, while ostensibly being drawn from uh, Genesis chapter 9, Are really uh, the interpretation of the rabbis. They say it's revealed to the rabbis how and for what ultimate purpose those uh, so-called Noahide laws were determined for the Gentile world. And they were put together in the Talmud. Now, the Talmud is an extra-biblical document put together by Rabbis. The Hebrew meaning for the word Talmud is learning. The Hebrew meaning for the word Torah is instruction. So the Talmud is the rabbinic, shall we say, interpretive uh, language for what God gave in the Torah. It doesn't contain the Torah, but is an extensive rabbinic commentary on the Torah. Comprising the Jewish religion, Judaism's history, laws and beliefs referred to as halakha or halakha laws, laws upon laws defined applicationally by rabbis. So, the Talmud, believe it or not, is the most vital manuscript of the conventional Judaistic religion. It's referred to as the oral law. And it was written by many rabbis over a long period of time. And then on top of that, you have the Mishnah, a collection of mostly operational and applicational Jewish traditions, which were not even compiled until about uh, 200 A.D., 130 years after the Second Temple's destruction. But these form the first and basic part of the Talmud, And added to that were the Mishnah in a collection called the Gemara. So we have all of these different documents which constitute rabbinic Judaism. Now, why is it necessary to talk about that? Because we need to talk about the source, the source of these so-called Noahide laws. So here is what Jew and Gentile need to know about the rabbinic origin of interpretation and application of God's instructions to Noah and his sons after the flood. Here we go. First, the seven Noahide laws are not explicitly listed in the Bible. Therefore, they are what you might call uh, extra-biblical. In other words, they're like uh, someone who supposedly writes their own Bible. They're taking the existing Bible and they're putting their notes, a pastor putting all his notes in the margin and selling it as the Bible. It's very similar to that. Second, the idea of a formed set of laws given to all humanity, the sons of Noah, comes not from the Torah but from the Talmud. Third, rabbis, somewhere between 200 A.D. and 500 A.D., defined and installed their concept of the Noahide laws in the Talmud, which in Jewish practice is their operational Bible that they believe has equal authority for life, practice, and belief. In other words, it constitutes rabbinic Judaism because it's a system devised and designed by the rabbis. It's not the biblical Judaism understood by Moses or by David or the prophets or Jesus. Fourth, according to rabbinic Judaism, a Gentile does not have to follow the Mosaic law, but is required to keep the no laws, which are unequivocally binding. In truth, some rabbis have concluded it is blasphemy, For a Gentile to either attempt or claim to keep the Ten Commandments or other Mosaic statutes, judgments, and ordinances. Because that would be attempting to claim that they were Jews. And they consider that blasphemy. Fifth, Gentiles who follow and observe the Noahide laws are then said to be righteous Gentiles, one of the pious, and assured of a portion in the world to come. Now you understand why... The title of this chapter in my book is called Noahide Laws and Olam Hama, or Haba. Because the words Olam Haba mean the world to come. Sixth, nowhere in Genesis 9 is mentioned or alluded to a call for the establishment of a Noahide court and judicial system. The rabbis made it up. Seventh, the punishment to be meted out to a Gentile that is a Noahide for transgression of nearly all of the seven laws is decapitation. And because Christians believe Jesus to be the Son of God, Christians are by Jewish definition blasphemous and idolaters. Now are you beginning to get the sense of why we're talking about this here today? It has tremendous implications for all of us and for the world. So the question then is will Noahidism unite the world? Since since whether Jew or Muslim or Christian or any other faith or not are all descendants of Noah, it's then perceived that to achieve unity we have to return to the find to find the resolution of our divisions in noah we're all children of noah but only those who truly openly embrace and pledge their allegiance to the seven noahide laws are deemed to be true benai noah or the family of noah so we therefore have to follow the late historical development of the recognition of the noahide laws among Jew and Gentile. And the nations most representative of this are Israel and the United States of America. And what I'm about to share with you after this break may astound you. Are you listening? Get a copy of my book, Messiah Unveiling the Mystery of the Angels. $20 on our website, saveus.org. We'll be back.
1: Click Cell Church.
0: Will Noahidism unite the world in preparation for the new global order? That's the question before us here in this final segment of our program here today on Viewpoint. In 1987, President Ronald Reagan, a professing Christian, signed a proclamation speaking of, quote, the historical tradition of ethical values and principles, which have been the bedrock of society from the dawn of civilization when they were known as the seven Noahide laws transmitted through God to Moses on Mount Sinai. We have absolutely no biblical support, friends, for that statement. It may be a tradition in Israel, but there's no indication that God transmitted the Noahide laws from Mount Sinai to to Moses. Unless you were to conclude... That, that which is not even written in the Bible, even in the book of Genesis chapter 9 concerning Noah, actually sets forth the Noahide laws. Yet the Noahide laws were put together in the Talmud by rabbis thousands of years later. The Jewish scholar Maimonides, back in the 12th century, Declared that God commanded Moses to compel the world to accept these seven commandments. He said, Anyone who accepts upon himself and carefully observes the seven commandments, that is, the Noahide laws, is of the righteous of the nations of the world and has a portion in the world to come. In other words, is saved. That's their way, the Jewish way of saying, is saved. It has nothing to do with sin. It has nothing to do with salvation as Christians think of it. Because there is no real concept within Judaism of ultimate salvation in that regard. On March 26, 1991, just six months after the infamous Islamic attack there on September 11th, The U.S. Congress officially recognized the Noahide laws in Public Law 102-14, referenced as Education Day Congress, and the U.S. President George W. Bush declared by that law that the United States of America was founded upon the seven universal laws of Noah and that these laws have been the bedrock of society from the dawn of civilization. Therefore, that law was justified to promulgate the Noahide laws as part of Education Day for the strengthening of civilized society, they said. Do you understand what was said? Let me put this in, in a bigger context. Right after 9-11, George W. Bush declared on national television, that Muslims, Jews, and Christians all worship the same God. Then, not very long after that, he said, and all religions worship the same God. Yes, he did say that. Now, evangelicals wanted to claim that he was an evangelical Christian. Yet he did not believe the most fundamental aspects of the Christian faith, and that is that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, that no man would come to the Father but by him. But then George W. Bush, like his father, was a globalist. So you can understand then why he would make this kind of pronouncement. You see, it is about uniting the world in a one way world order. Now, there was a Lubavitcher article, remember the Lubavitch Rabbi Schneerson that many thought was the Messiah? Well, he said that it was necessary to compel all human beings to accept the commandments enjoined upon the descendants of Noah. He said, we must therefore deduce that this is an auspicious time to conquer the world with Torah. As the Schneerson explained, by transforming the Gentiles, he said, we can quickly create a vast army of supporters who will help us reveal that Moshiach, Messiah, and reveal bring all Jews back to the Torah. Now, what Messiah is he talking about? He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about a messianic expectation that a man like Moses will somehow bring about the restoration of Israel into its prominence in the land of Israel and that the world, therefore, will come to Israel's feet and there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's their view. On October 13, 2004, the Sanhedrin, which was the highest tribunal of the Jewish state and religion, was re-inaugurated after 1,600 years. 71 leaders, rabbis of Israel. In an unpublicized move, members of the newly established Sanhedrin ascended to the Temple Mount as a symbolic declaration of their primary intent and purpose to rebuild the Temple, saying that it was crucial in preparation for the Messianic age. Then on June 9, 2006, a year and a half later, a group of non-Jewish delegates came to Jerusalem to pledge their loyalty to the laws of Noah. They appeared before this newly restored Sanhedrin, established a high council for uh, Gentile sons or followers of the Noahide laws so here was Judaism's highest religious authority 71 of the most prominent respected rabbis of Israel revered among the followers of rabbinic Judaism setting the stage for urgently teaching and promoting to the Gentile world the seven laws of Noah as the non-jewish world's salvation but also, Establish a tribunal that is a religious supreme court to be the final arbiter and judge of whether a Gentile would be entitled to a portion in the world to come or would be subject to execution as proclaimed in the Talmud and reinforced by Maimonides. Are you getting the bigger picture here, I hope? So when George W. Bush... And the United States Congress and Ronald Reagan cited the Noahide laws as the bedrock of society. What they really did, perhaps unwittingly, I don't know, but what they really did was declare that for the United States of America, the only serious Christian nation Democracy in the world was under the law of the Noahide laws and therefore must be held to that standard or there would be, shall we say, hell to pay. It's a mitzvah, a religious duty, among the Jewish community, whether they want to admit it or not, to eradicate Jewish traitors, minimum, and uh, they have certain names for them, and to cause them to descend into the pit of destruction since they cause difficulty to the Jews and sway the people away from God. Who is that talking about? It's talking about true followers of Jesus Christ, friends. So when you talk about the rising up, of a new global order and a religious foundation for it. The Noahide laws become the religious foundation for all Gentiles in the world, Muslims, Christians, Hindus, whatever. And if you continue to claim that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, that he is a divine Messiah, you are, in effect, committing blasphemy worthy of the ultimate penalty. Now, perhaps you can better understand what the prophet Daniel and John writing the revelation of Jesus Christ in the Apocalypse, was talking about, when they talked about this time, when this great statue would ultimately find its final expression in the two legs, coming down into ten toes, part of iron and part of clay, and would stamp out with power and vigilance the world, This is not going to usher in a messianic age of peace and justice unless you define peace and justice as eradicating all true followers of Jesus Christ. Can you possibly understand then why yours truly may be in the process of writing a book called When Persecution Comes? Would this not sound like ultimate persecution? And how many professing Christians are going to rationalize? Well, I've got to save my head, and I, I, I can't allow my children uh, to to suffer these kinds of penalties. What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? So, they will rationalize taking the infamous mark of the beast. They will. They're going to worship what the Jewish, the rabbinic Judaism declares their hope of salvation and reject what Jesus says is their hope of salvation. Where do you place your hope? We say and sing, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness that we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Do you? Or are we witnessing the anatomy of a one-world religion? Is righteousness for Gentiles achieved by absolute obedience to the law of Noah, which in reality is the anti-gospel, a total repudiation of the Christian faith? It's interesting in Psalm 2. The question is asked by the by the psalmist. Why do the people rage? And the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? The nations of the earth rise against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let's tear their bands, bands asunder. But God says, I'm going to laugh at them. I'm going to have them in derision. They're going to go crazy. And then he says, look, he, I'm, I'm going to give you the the, uh, more modern interpretation of this God says look I've already set my son Jesus Christ upon my holy hill the temple mount so who do you guys think you are you might want to seriously consider kissing the son in other words embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because he alone is going to rule and reign from the temple mount and you might want to consider doing that very quickly, he said. Because if you don't, it's not going to be a pretty picture for you. Read Psalm 2, my friend. Get a copy of the book, Messiah Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. $20 on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5. post postage to handbook. Let's prepare the way of the Lord for His final hour in our own hearts. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Griesmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.